Welcome back, guys. It's Extra AF August Edition. I'm Kina. And I'm Ashley. And we're going to do something a little different. I think I talked about it in the announcement, but we're going to do this month in history and then what happened this month in history. And then we're going to read your stories. Yay. It's going to be awesome. Man, August had a lot of stuff go down. (laughs) It did. It really did. (laughs) Like a lot. Historically and uh, currently. 2020s, bitch. I know I say that every month, but... (laughs) Yeah. Like that TikTok song, low-key, fuck 2020. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Once you think you can't top that, then you get Annabelle escaping a museum, trending on Twitter, and asteroids, and then you're like, I'm going to stop thinking I can't top that. So Real talk, yeah. At this point, I'm just like, well, this might as well happen. (laughs) Nothing shocks anybody anymore. I'm still, I can't get past the whole alien thing. They released the UFOs and nobody's talking about it. I don't understand. Because it's not even like the craziest thing that's happened. Yes. Ash asked me yesterday, she's like, question. If Zeke knew that if there was aliens, would he tell you? <laughs> no, if Zeke knew that there are aliens that are working with the Air oh, Force. Yes, yes, yes. I have a theory about it. <laughs> Do tell. So basically, (laughs) we were watching Paranormal Caught on Camera, and they showed videos of Air Force planes that looked like they were being escorted by alien crafts. And I've seen a lot of videos like that, where the crafts will basically catch up with the fighter jets or whatever, and then surpass them. They're going so fast. And I like have this whole theory in my head, I guess a conspiracy theory, that basically they are escorting the air force and like helping protect the earth Ooh! so yeah that's, that's what being quarantined has uh done for me see i think about it and he was just like stupid conspiracy theories i'm like but you didn't <laughs> say no <laughs> if anything he just confirmed it for me yeah yeah and uh my in-laws are in the space force so maybe i'm gonna have the end I believe that things like the stealth bomber probably came from like Roswell. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. How did that design just pop up out of nowhere after a supposed crash? Yep. Oh, 2020 has got me. It's got me back. So I'm like, why would aliens waste their time with us? Honestly, I think humanity is the worst. (laughs) War of the worlds. Like they're basically biding their time till they get the world from us and can terraform it for themselves. We're, we're speeding the process up pretty well. We really so are. They probably like, we don't even have to try on this planet. We're just waiting. Yeah. Like they're like, this is in the fucking bag, man. Yeah. They still didn't build pyramids though. Throw no, <laughs> no. Yeah. Zeke's an engine dude. So if he had an alien engine, I would hope he would tell me. Real talk. Yeah. Keep me updated. I will. to the fbi agent listening right now i will not i will not tell anybody i don't know what you're talking about there's no proof (laughs) (laughs) oh man so you want to go first with what's happened this month sure so i have to talk about something that was said by our current potus So this is an article from the Rolling Stone that I want to read, and it's titled, Trump says he'll seek a third term because, quote unquote, they spied on me. Oh, no, no, no. With the political world focused on the Democratic Convention Monday night, President Trump looked to steal some of the limelight by saying that he will seek a third term if he wins re-election. 
During a rally in Wisconsin, the president lied to a cheering crowd, telling them that he deserves eight additional years in office because, as he falsely claimed, his campaign was spied on in 2016, an assertion his own FBI refuted in a detailed report. We are going to win four more years, Trump said, and then after that, we'll go for another four years because they spied on my campaign. We should get a redo of four years. That's not how that works. No, 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 no. But Trump has one problem, the Constitution. Oh, God bless you, Constitution. God God (laughs) bless the Constitution. The second, I'm sorry, the 22nd Amendment (laughs) says no person shall be elected to the office of the president more than twice. Then during the same rally, Trump goes on to a bizarre rant about how well the economy was performing before the pandemic, touting the success of students who attended crummy colleges and dumb people. Whatever that means. Okay. Lovely. Presidential. (laughs) Right? Very presidential of him. It gets even better. So the president's manic Monday did not stop there. During a stop in Michigan, Trump told the assembled crowd a bullshit story he often repeats. He says, I was man of the year 11 years ago in Michigan. I don't know why, but they picked me. (laughs) (laughs) Trump doesn't know why he was chosen for this honor because it's a lie. According to a 2019 report in the Detroit news, the president has told the fabricated story at least six times, make that seven after today. Since 2016, Trump has claimed that he received Michigan's man of the year award and no one in Michigan seems to know what he is talking about. The report said, Oh man. So I chose this because this is going to go down in history books. His entire presidential campaign all of his actions especially with the prevalence of having video and audio files now that's going to be something that is discussed in history especially because it ties back to the constitution so Mm -hmm. history lovers and history teachers are going to have a field day with talking about why that's not a thing that can actually happen yeah constitutional scholars right now are probably just perpetually rubbing their heads being like that's not what that says yeah (laughs) it's right there (laughs) no it's very startling for anybody that's ever read the constitution or even skimmed it honestly you could skim it and still know that all this is not possible yeah it gives me a lot of anxiety (laughs) that people are so blatantly going against the constitution right and like anyone who's listening that is pro-trump and will get mad that we are bashing trump or whatever and try to tell us that you know we shouldn't be political history is political Mm -hmm. so i mean it's kind of gonna go hand in hand yeah and it's i think about it a lot how historians might look at what's happening today and i'm hoping that things will eventually get better And we'll be out of a pandemic and we'll be out of all these horrible things happening. And that maybe this moment in time, as bad as it is, will be a catalyst for a real change that should have happened a long time ago. Like our constitution was left kind of open. Like our founding fathers never quite reached the ideals that they wanted. Not Mm -hmm. all of them were flawed, but I think the beauty of the constitution is they knew they were flawed and they knew that things would change. I don't think they knew to the extent that the world would change, but that's why we have like amendments and that's why things should change. And I think that especially everything happening this year, there's a lot that needs to change in the constitution. It's not everybody has equal rights and, you know, 
Uh, it's so easy for the POTUS to break laws. That Yes. And I think it's because they, they set it up because they thought that anybody that would be president, it'd be unspoken that you don't do these things. It's not in writing, technically. But we are quickly finding out that this stuff needs to be spoken. Yes, yes. But with all the amendments and everything, one amendment that we do not need is changing term limits on the presidential. no, no, no. No. He probably looks at FDR and be like, man, that dude did it. How do I do that? But yeah, it was a very different situation. (laughs) Yeah. It's just kind of startling to me how many things are happening. Yeah. Against the Constitution. Speaking of things that will go down in history, Melania and the Rose Garden. No. Y'all, she moved Jackie O's crab apple trees. It's terrible. They claim that they're going to be put elsewhere on the property, but I don't have a lot of faith in that. Usually if the White House has historians that would ensure that those are protected. Yeah. But Last time I checked, the entire site for White House historians is gone. So I don't even know if they have anybody working. That doesn't surprise me. I was hopeful at the beginning that because I was looking at internships and I was even looking at the White House. I'm like, I could suck it up. I don't have to see him. It's still history. (laughs) And they had deleted all the internships in. So I was like, damn. But uh, I think people would really be pissed off. Yeah. And I get that's her aesthetic, but it's not her yard it's america's yeah exactly that's that's my big thing is you know it it was so historical and every first lady has done something in that garden and they got rid of a lot of it yeah not all yeah it's very it's very sad if, if alice oh god if Alice Roosevelt cannot bury a voodoo doll in the rose garden you can't rip up Jackie O's crab apple trees like it's just that's my that's that on that yeah that's a good way to mic drop that one (laughs) (laughs) did you have anything else i was gonna read y'all an article about the lost colony of roanoke and gripe a little bit about it okay cool because i didn't read that article because you mentioned it so i'm ready so this one came from ooh came from Nat Geo. Sorry, my screen refreshed because I printed out my articles and then I found out that I had to quarantine this week and had to gather all my crap and leave. And I left the articles on my desk. So now I'm having to look at them on my phone. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) All right. So it's one of America's oldest unsolved mysteries. What happened to the lost colony of Roanoke? The puzzle draws experts from all over the world to the remote outer banks of North Carolina. After a decade of research, these researchers believe they may know what happened. 20 years before Jamestown, Sir Walter Riley, uh, Raleigh made two attempts at founding the first permanent English colony in North America. The first in 1585 ended in failure, and the second attempt two years later is clouded in mystery. So here's a little backstory. In August of 1587, 115 people crossed the Atlantic, settling on Roanoke Island in present-day Monteo. This voyage was the first to bring women and children. A very pregnant Eleanor Dare made the journey, and her daughter, Virginia Dare, was the first English child born in the New World, and they are the namesake for Dare County. A small group went back to England for supplies and returned to find the colony completely abandoned. No one knows for certain what happened. Some argue the colonists traveled inland. There's some evidence to support this theory. Some think that they were all killed or that they died. Others firmly believe they came to Hatteras Island. I really hope that's how you uh, pronounce that, by the way. (laughs) 
Sounds if you good live on me. this island, I'm sorry. So <laughs> the Roanoke colonists left a clue, the word Croatoan carved into a wooden post. The Croatoans were a friendly tribe residing on Hunteras Island. They were also the home tribe of Manteo, a Native American who learned English and acted as an interpreter. Scott Dawson, a native of Hatteras Island and hobby archaeologist, that's a hobby I want, grew up hearing the stories. I saw a lot of artifacts coming up when people were building houses or sometimes from erosion from storms. It gutted me to see that no one was doing anything about it. So Dawson created the Croatoan Archaeological Society. He wanted to see if they could find the colonists on Hatteras, where they all but said they were going and where no one has really looked for them until now. The colony doesn't know they're lost. In their minds, someone is coming back with resupplies, he said. Dawson reached out to experts for help. His mission sparked the interest of a well-established British archaeologist, Professor Mark Horton from the University of Bristol. I think it's a really interesting point, you know. Why are a bunch of Brits working on the site in North Carolina? I suppose the answer is it's our history and heritage as much as it is yours. It's part of that shared story. I've been excavating 16th century sites in England for a very long time and thought, well, maybe I could bring a new perspective on this problem because we know what this stuff actually looks like. They began digging in 2009 and have returned every year since. So this has gone on for a really long time. Wow. The team consists of local volunteers to world-renowned specialists in a variety of fields. It's not just the archaeology, but it's all the science that goes with it, Horton said. The analytical science, the investigation of the animal bones, the ceramics, dating. A project like this is a multidiscipline investigation of great complexity. Under layers of dirt, the team found what they came for, 16th century English items. They found copper rings, sword handles, earrings, a Nuremberg token, writing slates, and glass. The only logical explanation is they had come from the lost colony. This article goes on. It's super duper long, but that is the gist of it. But here's my rant. The first article I ever read about this theory was from 2015. And it's always been kind of something I've read throughout the years, kind of a conspiracy theory almost of what if they went and lived with the Croatoan tribe? Mm-hmm. Because they carved Croatoan into the tree. But people were so quick, like some historians were so quick to say, well, they probably died instead of thinking, oh, the English could have integrated with this native tribe and lived. But there was evidence in the bloodlines of that tribe of Native Americans with blue eyes. So it was kind of obvious that they integrated with this tribe but like for some reason they until they really started digging up artifacts and going oh here's a nuremberg coin oh i guess maybe they did you had all these other clues Mm -hmm. before you started digging why could you not have like assumed that that's what it could have happened and start from there instead of going oh this washed up maybe this could be true yeah it It seems like from the very beginning, people automatically assumed that the natives just slaughtered everybody and not even think about them being willing to help them. Yeah. And they, um, all the accounts that I've read from journals and stuff talk about how friendly the tribe was. So then Mm -hmm. for them to turn around and say, oh, the tribe might have killed them. That's why they carved Croatoan into the tree. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like all of these. Racism. (coughs) Yeah. terrible cough yes yeah, that's that's what it was just they probably 
just couldn't even fathom the idea of even the English being willing to integrate and live peacefully together. Because yeah. that would imply that they intermarried and that they live side by side. And that goes against their narrative that they used to murder people for centuries. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. God, that's depressing. Yes, it is. It's so depressing. And it frustrates me because I've always been fascinated by Roanoke. And even I remember like as a kid, like in the sixth grade thinking, oh, they probably went and lived with the with the indigenous peoples. So for me to now be almost 32 and them just now going, oh, they might have lived with the indigenous peoples. It's like, no shit. I've known that since I was in the sixth grade. So it's frustrating. But yeah, so that was that was new. And the main guy in that article is working on a book and we'll write all about it. And it's really cool. And I will definitely read it, but I might like rage read it a little bit. And that's understandable. Yes. I'd be more worried if you didn't. Exactly. So what have you got? All right. So yeah, this was actually a very big year for women. And it's kind of a bummer that we finally get 100 years being able to vote. And there's a fucking pandemic and all the events can't happen. So that's fun and great and wonderful. Of course. Yep. (laughs) But maybe because the focus was off of it a little bit, that more of the focus ended up being on the women of color that were left out. So yes, that's awesome. An NPR article that talks about both. So here we go. On August 26, 1920, the 19th Amendment of the United States Constitution officially took effect when Secretary of State Bainbridge Colby. What a name. Lady killer has to be. (laughs) What a first name. At first I was like, of course that's his last name. Nope, it's not. He signed a proclamation certifying its ratification. The amendment promised women that their right to vote would not be denied on the account of their sex. Yet even after that milestone, millions of people, women and men alike, were still excluded from the vote as many barriers to suffrage remained. Oh, history sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Why do I love it so much? So depressing. It's just going to get worse. Okay. The fight over the amendment was not just about sex. It was deeply entwined with race. While women's suffrage movement had its root in anti-slavery movements, early suffragist leaders, including Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, would later split from their alliance with abolitionists. They were outraged that under the 15th Amendment, black men would get the vote while white women's were still denied. It's a really touchy part of history that we want to celebrate these suffragettes, but a lot of them are very racist. So it's a very uh, problematic and uh, complicated history. Yeah. They were fighting for women, but they were only fighting for white women. (sighs) A lot to unpack. So decades later, when the 19th Amendment was up for debate, Southern politicians especially seethed over the prospect of enfranchising millions of African-American women, just as the 15th Amendment had enfranchised black men by law, if not by practice. Oh, this is where it gets really bad. I'm I'm already getting anxious because it's so bad. (laughs) Quote, the debates are explicit, said Martha S. Jones, a professor of history at Johns Hopkins University and the author of an upcoming book called How Black Women Broke Barriers, Won the Vote, and Insisted on Equality for All. Quote, racism runs through the debates over women's suffrage, oftentimes through and through, Jones says. Racism is a language that is shared by suffragists and anti-suffragists alike. (sighs) I'm going to have to read that book. Everything I've read on it so far, I'm like, it's very well said. 
Yeah, it sounds like something that definitely needs to be on my to-read list. Yes. So case in point. In 1919, just before the U.S. Senate voted on the 19th Amendment, South Carolina Senator Ellison Smith fulminated. I don't even know what that word was. <laughs> but I'm smart, I promise. Against what he called the alien and unfit inward race. Yikes. See, it makes me, I'm so anxious even reading this. It makes me so incredibly angry at just humanity. And I've just been all worked up. That felt like a Band-Aid being ripped off. He proclaimed that, quote, a crime against white civilization that black men were granted the vote with the 15th Amendment. Ugh. And, and we know that at this point, things were really rough. People were not happy with the 15th Amendment. And people were really pissed that women wanted the vote, too. So extending the vote to, quote, the other half of the inward race, Smith thundered, would unleash new evils. In the face of racist opposition, white suffragists betrayed the black women who had also long fought for the right to vote, says Elaine Rice, author of The Woman's Hour, The Great Fight to Win the Vote. Quote, we have to acknowledge, Vice says, that white suffragists used as one of their politically expedient arguments, you know, there are more white women who'll be voting than black women, so don't worry, white supremacy is not going to be endangered, end quote. Fuck. That guy. Yeah. In 1918, leading suffragist Carrie Chapman Catt framed the argument this way in a letter to North Carolina Congressman Edwin Webb, trying to persuade him to vote yes on the 19th Amendment. Quote, the present condition in the South makes sovereigns of some inward men, while all white women are their subjects. These are sad but solemn truths. If you want white supremacy, why not have it constitutionally honorably? The federal amendment offers it this way. So these people were celebrating. We're also the ones saying, if we let white women vote, we're going to be able to further just subjugate these people. Ugh. It makes me nauseous. It's so... Uh, I'm like nervous laughing because it's just so fucked up. If anybody's not studied just how bad things were, the Nazis looked at what we did in the South with Jim Crow and thought they were too harsh. Like, nah. it's there's quotes from them being like, that's just too much. Of course, as historian Martha Jones points out, whites in the Jim Crow South knew all too well how to keep African-Americans from voting. There's poll taxes, literacy tests, grandfather clauses, violence, and lynching. Quote, it is a bargain in 1919 and 1920, Jones explains. Support for women's suffrage in exchange for giving individual states license to continue to keep black Americans from the polls. They've long kept black men from the polls, and now they're going to keep black women from the polls as well. That's why I'm so glad this was talked about because nobody learns about this. And Yeah. Yeah. That definitely was not part of my American history education. No, it wasn't even part of my women's history. Yeah. Education. We learned about suffragettes and we watched Iron Jawed Angels, but it doesn't talk about this. Indeed, just two months after the 19th Amendment was ratified, the prominent African-American suffragist and activist Mary Church Terrell wrote a letter to the NAACP president, Moorfield Story, that was filling and foreboding. Quote, the colored women of the South will shamefully be treated and will not be allowed to vote. I am sure of it. I hope the Republicans will do something towards enforcing the 15th Amendment. We are so helpless without the right of citizenship in that section of the country where we need it the most. Mm. It's so powerful, yet they had no idea what was coming to 
Along with African-Americans, other groups who continue to be excluded from the vote included Asian-American immigrants who were long ineligible for naturalization citizenship on the account of race and only won the vote starting in 1943. We didn't learn that either in school. Nope. Nope. Among those advocating for both women's suffrage and immigrants' rights was a young woman named Mabel Ping Huali. She was about five when her family managed to immigrate to the United States from Canton. Now, oh, God. Guangzhou, China, in 1900 through the narrow exemption of the Chinese Exclusion Act. Starting as a teenager, Lee became a powerful voice in the suffrage movement, says Kathleen Cahill, associate professor of history at Pennsylvania State University and the author of the another upcoming book, Recasting the Vote, How Women of Color Transformed the Suffrage Movement. There's a lot of good books coming out. So. Yeah, for real. Let me start making a list. <laughs> She has a real presence, says Cahill. People talk about her speeches, about how the audience was mabelized of her ability. White suffragists think she's phenomenal. So much so that they asked a 16-year-old Lee to march on horseback at the front of a major suffrage parade in New York in 1912. It would take more than 20 years after the 19th Amendment's ratification for Lee and other Chinese-American immigrants to become eligible for citizenship, thus winning the right to vote. It just it kind of makes me angry too like we're gonna parade you on a horse in front of our parades but we're not gonna let you vote oh yeah yeah you've got to make it look good you just oh man god and also excluded from this franchise native americans many of whom were not made u.s citizens until 1924 they were citizens before we were you bastards yeah even after that, Native Americans in some states were considered wards of the state and weren't guaranteed Yikes. the right to vote until 1965. What the fuck? Jesus. And that was with the Voting's right Act. Voting Rights Act. Voting Rights Activist Gertrude Simmons Bonin of the Yank oh God, Yankton Sioux Nation. Am I saying that right? Yank I, I don't want to say Yankton, that sounds too hillbilly. <laughs> 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 I swear I'm smart. I, I don't mean any of this is mean. Okay. Was a prominent in the women's suffrage community. Quote, she and other nationally known native suffragists don't necessarily want to have just U.S. citizenship. So they wanted to still be part of their nation, but they also wanted to be American. They also want recognition of their citizenship in tribal nations and their treaty rights, particularly to the land. They want to use suffrage and U.S. citizenship to save their land and their communities. After the 19th Amendment is ratified, Cahill says Bonin spends the next several years going to white women and saying, quote, now you have to vote. Please fight for my people. Don't forget your Indian sisters. For real. Yeah. But it's just you're denied all your rights. And now you just have to beg white women to fight for you. That must just be so infuriating. Yeah. God, just a little bit more, I promise. <laughs> a victory for some, but not a victory for all. And fights continue today, says Marsha Chatelain, uh, a professor of history and African-American studies at Georgetown. Quote, I think this is what this year has provided for us, an opportunity as people to celebrate 100 years of suffrage. But it's also for us to ask critical question, suffrage for who and at what cost? So I think that was the part of this that I really enjoyed. It's just, it's really highlighted what this really means for us. And, yeah. You know, who is left behind. Yeah. Dude, it is so important to me to be able to vote. Mm -hmm. Like it's the number one thing that is a right that I exercise. Anytime the polls are open, I am there. 
She also points out, quote, no one should celebrate anything as long as we live in a country that has such strategically created voter suppression, she says. We really can't claim that the United States has an incredible victory in 1920 when in 2020 there's still so many barriers for so many people to vote. I was just about to say that. For historian Martha Jones, the ratification of the 19th Amendment marks for African-American women a start, not a finish. It feels a new chapter in the struggle for voting rights in the United States, she says, a movement that black women will lead all the way to the 1965 passage of the Voting Rights Act. One of the lessons that we learned when we compared 1920 to 2020 is that voting rights is never a given. It's never a guarantee and it's not a done deal in the United States. (sighs) That's very true. So, yes. So with that, I want to say that we should honor these people that fought so hard by voting in record numbers not telling yes. you to vote for i'm just saying we should all vote it's more important than ever for all of us to use our voices that yeah a lot it's of us, so important and we weren't guaranteed this like i said and a lot of us had to fight really hard and for you know our vipoc sisters we need to fight for them too because voting is really affecting these communities more than ever and their voting is being suppressed and but on a slightly happier note, <laughs> bringing it down, Keenan, bringing it down. <laughs> We're, I'm giving away stuff now. So, yay, happiness. Okay. Woohoo. I find it. Where are you? Oh, While you're there. looking for that, I want to answer this question. Okay. Uh, so, Michelle said, What did you guys think of Abby Johnson's statement at the RNC and that there should, uh, about how there should be one voter household and the man should make the final decision in the house if it were a godly house? So, I did not see it on the RNC, but I did see it on Twitter. <laughs> and I got so mad because she said that it should, we should go back to one voter, voter households. And she, like, Framed it with that, oh, this might be an unpopular opinion. Yeah, it's definitely unpopular. And then someone said, what if the husband is Republican and the wife is a Democrat? And she said that if they were a godly household, the wife would hold the husband above herself and go with what he voted. It would. So she wants one man per household to vote, and that's it. Uh, it's awful. Nope. Nope. <laughs> it's a big no for me. No. <laughs> Jokes on y'all. I would just bully my husband into voting how I wanted. <laughs> yep. Oh God. Yeah. That it makes me really sick. That goes back to the idea that women are property and we shouldn't have an opinion. And that's not what we're fighting for. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's my opinion on that. <laughs> <laughs> Our ancestors didn't fight, give up everything so that we could vote just for us to be like, okay, I won't vote. No. Yeah, no. Yeah, not going to happen. All right, the giveaway. So, Suffragette City 100 is the most comprehensive American suffrage timeline on the internet. And they are going to finish this 100 centennial celebration by walking a marathon as a symbolic suffrage hike that anybody can join. It's a virtual race. So, on Sunday, November 1st, two days before the election, enough people do it. They really feel like this is going to be a huge voter flex that's nonpartisan. It's grassroots and they're calling it suffering for suffrage. So if you go to suffragettecity100.com and click the link for suffering for suffrage, 
it tells you all about it. It's open right now. It's free to everyone. It doesn't matter what your age, gender, or ability is. And they have 10 levels of participation so that everybody can pick a lane and be a part of this celebration of 100 years of the 19th Amendment. So the distance categories are 5K, 10K, 15K, half marathon, and full marathon. So here's the deal. If you sign up for one of these, doesn't matter if it's a 5K or a full marathon, let me know. Send it to my DMs or email historicalafpod at gmail.com and just show proof that you're doing this walk on November 1st. And I'll throw your name in a drawing and I will pick three winners. And Suffragette City 100 is going to give three winners their choice of anything from the Etsy shop. How awesome. A pendant or a necklace or earrings. Um, they sent me a necklace. It's really cute. Oh, it's so cute, y'all. And I'm going to wear it to vote. Hello, friends. Last time I talked to you about modern fertility, I had just sent in my test. Well, I have gotten my results. And let me tell you, I am impressed. So once your results come through, you log on to the website and it is so streamlined and it's so easy to understand and it is so delightfully easy. So it gives you all your test results and then it does a summary. So it talks about your ovarian reserves, your ovulation and your general wellness, even down to when they predict your menopause will be like what? And one of the coolest part about it is that you can print the report and just have it ready to send it to your doctor, which is what I did. And I know I mentioned before that I was curious whether or not I had PCOS. And since then, I just handed this packet to my doctor and boom, I now have a PCOS diagnosis. So modern fertility helped a lot. It gave me a really good insight into what my future might be. And I highly recommend it. So if you're wondering who should use modern fertility, it's any uterus haver in their 20s or 30s. It's for people that want to have kids in the next five years, people trying to get pregnant now, people considering freezing their eggs or doing IVF. It could also be that your mom considering another child, or it could be somebody that doesn't want to have kids at all. And you just want to know what your health is like. And if you go to the doctor and your insurance doesn't cover these tests, it could be over $1,500. But this entire test that you do at home, you don't even have to see a human being is $159. And you get the results in less than 10 days. You don't have to wait. It is amazing. I highly recommend it. And if you want to get $10 off your modern fertility test, go to modernfertility.com slash historical AF. Again, that is $10 off at modernfertility.com slash historical AF. So next, we just have some listener stories that you guys sent in. If you guys want to send in stories for next month, that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to go with, ooh, oh, there's so many. Let's go with the Pope Lick Monster. Okay, sorry, I panicked because I saw it was two pages. All right, so this is from Nikki from the Bad Girls Gospel Podcast. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Thank you for sending it in. The Pope Lick Monster, that's P-O-P-E-L-I-C-K Monster, just in case I'm not enunciating that well because I'm Southern. (laughs) The Pope Lick Monster is a legendary part man, part goat, and part sheep, man, bear, pig, creature, Reported to live beneath a railroad trestle bridge over Pope Lick Creek in Fisherville neighborhood of Louisville, Kentucky, United States. 
Well, numerous urban legends exist about the creature's origins and the methods it employs to claim its victims. According to some accounts, the creature uses either hypnosis or voice mimicry to lure trespassers onto the trestle to meet their death before an oncoming train. Other stories claim the monster jumps down from the trestle onto the roofs of cars passing beneath it. No. Yet an- no. Yeah, no. You not talk about my car? Way. No. <laughs> I will sling you to next Tuesday. Yes. So yet other legends tell that it attacks its victim with a bloodstained axe and that the very sight of the creature is so unsettling that those who see it while walking across the high trestles are driven to leap off. That is excessive. Yeah, I don't like, no. (laughs) No. Other legends hold that the monster is a human-goat hybrid and that it was a circus freak who vowed revenge after being mistreated. In other versions, it is said the monster escaped after a train derailed on the trestle. Yet another version, commonly told by locals of the area, claims that the monster is really the twisted, reincarnated form of a farmer who sacrificed goats in exchange for satanic powers. Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> I've been watching. I just now got on the Lucifer train in the first season. He keeps on like, why is this goat a thing? You know, and he's so mad about the goat stuff. <laughs> so the sacrifice is like, stop sacrificing. I'm not a monster. Fuck off with the goat thing. Such a good show. We just caught up with the first half of the new stuff. Oh, yeah. I like oh, it a lot. So good. Anywho. Yeah. So. <laughs> The legends have turned the area into a site for legend tripping. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? That's I did our not new know hobby. This. <laughs> yes. There have been a number of deaths and accidents at the trestle since its construction, despite the presence of an eight foot, 2.4 meter, thank you for that, fence to keep thrill seekers out. There is a common misconception that the trestle is abandoned and no longer used. In reality, the bridge carries a major rail artery into Louisville. Heavy freight trains cross the bridge several times daily, so it is easy for someone to get caught atop it while an oncoming train barrels down on them. Oh, no. Yeah, that's how I felt going to the uh, Garden Light where I grew up. Like, it was still a functioning uh, train track, and it was really scary. I was more scared of that than the, like, legends and all that. Uh, Norfolk Southern Railway urged citizens not to climb the trestle, saying if caught, they would be arrested. The monster was the subject of a 1988 film by Louisville filmmaker Ron, wow, <laughs> Shieldneck. Sounds yes. great. <laughs> yes, called The Legend of the Pope Lick Monster. Most of the film was shot at the Pope Lick Trestle, but scenes showing the characters up on the trestle were shot at another safer location. Several people have died on or near the train trestle at Pope Creek in Pursuit of the Popelick Monster Legend. On April 23, 2016, a 26-year-old tourist from Ohio died after being hit by a train while searching for the monster. Her boyfriend survived by hanging on the side of the trestle. In 1994, a man was killed by a train after his ATV overturned on the trestle, trapping him on the track. In in 2000, a 19-year-old fell to his death after encountering a train. On May 26, 2019, Savannah Bright, 15, was pronounced dead at the scene after she and another teenage girl were on the train tracks near the Pope Lick Trestle. Bright's unidentified companion was taken to the University of Louisville Hospital. The story of the monster was featured in an episode of Destination America's Monsters and Mysteries in America entitled Ozarks. 
Oh, it's my neck of the woods right there. Hell yeah. I've always been fascinated by the Povelik monster. It's just one of those things, especially with the train tracks and everything. I've seen that episode and it was really interesting to me. So, but yeah. Wow. I didn't know much about that at all. And that's really, it's really sad that so many people die. For real. But all the like, urban legends surrounding it and all the different descriptions like and they're all terrifying yeah it's a lot it's, it's a lot you could have been okay with just one or two of those not like all of them yeah man bear pig man bear pig <laughs> that's a wild time yes urban legends are just chef's kiss <laughs> all right so this is from monica it says, hey, hey, everyone. My name is Monica. And no, I'm not related to Carol Baskin. But Aww. I am related distantly to the Baskins in California of Baskin Robbins ice cream fame. Oh, man. That is a legacy I want to be a part of. Me too. I don't have any legacy. I'm like mayor of flipping. I got to <laughs> <laughs> so sadly, we don't get free ice cream. Womp womp. They are my father's adopted father. So my grandfather's second cousin. And then says, in relation to my email address, you don't have to read this part out loud. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Love listening to the show while I'm editing or working. It combines a little bit of all my favorite things. And Monica is from Arkansas, too. And she is a really good photographer. And, one and of our she's amazing. Fans. Man, I've been looking at her photography so much lately. Sorry, I have to let the dog in. So I'm taking it with me. <laughs> Yay, bullshit. Oh my gosh, Monica. I've been looking at your photography and I want a photo shoot of me in the woods barefoot in a fancy gown so bad. Yes, you got she, some of the new stuff is like very witchy vibes and I'm yes. here for it. I am so here for it. But anyway, proceed. Monica Ray on Instagram and you can look at all her photography. And if you are in North Arkansas, Northwest, Fayetteville area, definitely hire her. Okay, moving on. <laughs> My story is a bit verbose, but it's interesting. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Some minor backstory. Shortly after my husband and I got married, his maternal grandfather passed away from a long bout of cancer. In the end, he was told that he was remission, that it came back in his bone marrow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He died the day after he was told it was back. Oh, that's all so sad. Yeah. I hate sorry. so many stories like that. Like my grandma is like, you have six months to live, and then she died like a few weeks later. Yeah. And same thing with my dad. They're like, you have six months, and I'm like a month later. It's really sad. Live every day like it's your last. Okay. My husband was really close to his grandfather and his biological mother's side of the family when he was younger. But as time went on, life went a separate direction other than the turkey cattle farmer life. Understandable. He tried to get back in touch with his grandpa, Harry, when he and I were engaged and getting married. But Harry was still very ill from his first round of cancer. So it was a little difficult to do much since we worked in the general public and Harry was immunocompromised. And we didn't want to spread anything to him. Aww. That's very kind. That is very kind. Especially in these COVID times where people don't give a shit about. Yeah. More people need to be like that. Yeah. Be like Monica people. <laughs> <laughs> when Grandpa Harry passed, or there was bad blood with his wife and my husband's biological mother. So my mother-in-law. So Jesse, the Hubbins. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> was also cut off from that family. In the end, we know it isn't about physical things, but about memories. Jesse received a small photo album, one of the ones that you get when you pick up your photos from the Walmart photo counter many, many, many moons ago. 
Oh, memories. Oh, that was so long ago. <laughs> I had a picture of Alice, the mother-in-law, Jesse, Grandpa Harry, and my brother-in-law and frame picture of just Harry and Jesse when Jesse was three to five years old. We put the frame picture up with the rest of our family pictures and we didn't think much of it. I bet this is going to get spooky. Bum, Sounds bum, like bum. it's going to get spooky. <laughs> Fast forward a few years and I'm pregnant with our first kiddo. And still have the picture of Grandpa Harry and baby Jesse up with the rest of our pictures. And our dog Everett starts growling at the picture of Grandpa Harry. I don't like dogs growling at things that aren't there. It freaks my shit out. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking it was just a reflection, I would move the picture into a different shelf, a different area of the shelf, anywhere. It didn't matter. Everett would just sit there and growl at the picture. I even went so far as to pack the picture into a drawer whenever it was outside one day and he found the drawer and barked at it like something was attacking him. Jeez. What the hell? Around that time, we started having other things manifest. Cabinet doors would open on their own. Things would be moved around. The corner of the stairs was always dark and cold. I should mention at the time that Jesse and I worked opposite shifts. So I was home during the day and I was home with Everett at night. Oh, he was home during the day and I was home with Everett at night. We'd only see each other on the weekends, and we did that until just recently, actually. Ha ha. I remember those days. Yep. Split shifts. God, those suck. So I would be home at night, and all this stuff would happen. I asked Jesse if he noticed anything, and he would say he would hear someone calling his name from outside the house while he was home. Don't like that. Never find anyone or anything around the house when he looked outside. No. Mm -mm. Don't don't say my name. I, I can't because you can you can talk yourself out of just random words, but when they know your name, they know you. They're coming for you. I don't like that at all. Mm-mm-mm. I decided enough was enough. At the time, I was agnostic who believed that ghosts and spirits exist, and I knew we needed to get whatever this was out of the house. Keep in mind, I am now a practicing witch, so yay growth. That's why her picture is yeah. so witchy. I knew it. <laughs> I was also hella pregnant and hella anxious. I didn't want whatever this was attaching to my baby. Oh, babe. I thought it was like baby, like shit's Greek. <laughs> the baby. Yeah, that's a valid concern. It is very, yeah, that's terrifying. So I salted the house, banged pots, hollered, told it to get out, opened a Bible, and then exclamation point in a parenthesis. <laughs> Everything. I felt like nothing worked until one day it vanished. I remembered walking up the stairs with Everett so we could go to bed and the cold, dark energy in the stairs was just gone. Everett never growled at that picture again. He just walks by it without even looking at it. We don't know what worked or if it just decided to bother somebody else, but I'm glad it's gone. Hell yeah, I'm glad it's gone too. I'll say it's your witchy shit. Yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah. (laughs) Since then, we've been very careful about the energy we bring into our home, especially since I practice. We have taught the kids little things to keep them safe from spirits like that because no thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And that was not the first nor last experience with the supernatural. I feel I've always had something connected to me and my life. Sorry if this rambled or anything. Thank you again for all your wonderful content. And I look forward to listening to all the future episodes y'all do. Much love and woo pig suey. Big <laughs> Siri. Oh gosh. Uh, it's like a how to how to find Arkansas and somebody just go woo. Oh, and just oh god. <laughs> no. I had in undergrad the guy I dated for a couple years, his dad and mom went on a trip to Mexico and on their tour bus, 
a guy in the back did the hog call to find the other Arkansans. <laughs> we are so fucking predictable. Goddamn Arkansas. <laughs> also, good luck, Arkansas, because who would have thunk you'd be hit with the hurricane? Jesus. Yeah, strap in, Arkansas. Man. Also, super glad you didn't fly away in the hurricane as well. Yeah, this was my first uh, hurricane experience since uh, moving to Louisiana, and I was not loving that it was uh, still going to be a Category 1, 2, 2 um, by the time it got to Shreveport, so that was fun, but it actually wasn't that bad. We didn't even lose power, but a lot of people around us did, so we got really lucky. That's good. Yeah, Marco fizzled out, so I didn't get Thankfully, yeah. 120 fucking degrees and everything. The ground is cracking from no rain. Yep. (laughs) Well, we got a shit ton of rain today. Yeah. So I decided that the next one I'm going to read is this anonymous story. Okay. So hi, Kina and Ashley. Please don't use my name, but I thought you would enjoy my stories for the extra AF episode. I have two short stories for you and both fall under spooky. First story will make Kina cry and the second is more creepy. Oh, I totally didn't read that when I picked this one. (laughs) Backstory for both my mother's side of the family. Wow, I can't read. Let's try that again. Take two. Backstory for both. My mother's side of the family is very spiritual and many are Catholic slash practice various forms of spiritualism. I observe both. Due to this plenty of spooky stuff happens to us. I have to enlarge the screen now because apparently I can't read either. (laughs) I'm so sorry, anonymous. (laughs) First, around the time I was seven, my grandma was worried for her last remaining grandparent, her grandfather, who had been ill for the last few months. We live in the U.S., whereas he lived in Central America. One night, Grandma had been babysitting me when she came tearing out of the bathroom and began packing. While she had been getting ready to shower, she looked up and her long-dead grandmother was standing in the doorway. She simply said, it's time. Grandma packed and managed to get a last-minute flight. The day after she arrived, her grandfather died. She had made it just in time to say goodbye. Oh, that's really nice, though. Oh, I love those stories so much. Oh, man, that makes me so happy, though. Like, I'm so glad that she was able to make it because, yeah, that's it's really hard when you don't make it in time. Yeah, this to have that closure. Yeah. So second story is a bit funnier. When I was 10, my whole family went to stay at a family friend's timeshare in Mexico. We stayed a week being obnoxious tourists during the day and playing board games my uncle brought at night. The house we stayed at was a bit unsettling. At night, there were footsteps and doors opened and closed. Lights would be on in rooms no one was in, but would be turned off the moment you got up to turn them off. So when we got home and were unpacking, my uncle noticed that one of my cousins had accidentally packed a pair of dice that did not belong to us. Thinking nothing of it, he threw it in a junk drawer and went to bed. At some point during the night, my aunt was woken up by the dice rolling around in the drawer. That is exactly where I thought this was going, and I'm terrified. (laughs) That would scare me so bad. That's such a distinct sound, too. Like, you know exactly what that... mm, She told them to stop, and the drawer rattled. So she did what she had to, took the dice, some salt, and some herbs outside, and burned it. Respect. Yes. 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 100% yes. She said a prayer and went back to bed. The next day, all of us kids were given a talking to about being careful about what we brought home. Hope you guys enjoyed these. 
I loved them. And oh my God, I would lose my shit if I wake up to dice rolling around in the drawer. What a badass to be so calm, but also be like, solution. Here we go. I got this. Oh, that's that's a level of BAMF I will never achieve. <laughs> that just makes me, th- for. I don't know why it made me think of this, but I'm like... Uh, a lot of y'all have heard in the past that my old house was haunted and all the time I would hear like, or I would smell random cigarette smoke. And one day I was trying to take a nap and I was, cho- I started choking because the cigarette smoke was so strong and I sat up and I yelled, we do not smoke in my household. And it went away and I never smelled it again. <laughs> <laughs> like I was just like, we do not do this in my home. You can get the fuck out. Did you clap and- while you did it? We don't. Yes, do I did. Like I was like, we no, we are not doing this. So yeah, that's amazing. That happened when I was a I was a teenager. Stuff was happening in my house. My mom was like, "Stop it now! You're scaring Keena." And then it stopped. <laughs> she just yeah. got fed up. Oh, got just got to be firm. That is so cool. Yeah, that was wonderful. Uh, any, any, okay. Well, since you did a creature, I'll do one too. Excellent. Mm-mm-mm. From Samantha. Hello, Samantha. Hello. Says, hello, all. You mentioned the Goatman Bridge on the music episode, so I thought I would give you my Texas expertise to tell you a little more about it. Also, this is from Atlas Obscura because sighting is sexy. Yes, people are listening to me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sight me harder, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> you got me (laughs) goatman's bridge is the common nickname for what was formerly called old alton bridge an iron truss span that once connected denton texas to copper canyon many who have crossed it at night have claimed to have seen a demonic figure of a man with a goat's head waiting for them at the other side why is everything a goat for real that's a very good that's a valid question (laughs) Well, I guess in San Antonio, we have the donkey lady. So I guess it's like a slight variation. But yeah, everybody's, I guess the whole Satan thing. Everybody thinks he's a (laughs) poor Lucifer. Poor Lucifer. Poor Lucy. The bridge got its nickname from a popular local ghost story. The legend concerns a successful African-American goat farmer who in 1938 is said to have been murdered on the bridge at the hands of the local KKK. Oh, God. That got so dark. That got dark quick. Uh, it's said that the clansmen lynched the goat farmer hanging him with a noose over the side of the bridge but when they went down below to confirm that he was dead the body had disappeared oh oh i hope he fucked them up essex to say i hope he wrecked their lives i am team goat man same fuck them up <laughs> alternate versions of this ghost story have also circulated including one that suggests that the bridge is actually haunted by the goat man's wife go on plot twist another story blames the work of satanists of course you do of course poor lucifer (laughs) (laughs) do you ever watch that show and you start feeling bad for the devil and you're like wait (laughs) right yes oh man but God's like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Me damn it. <laughs> Me damn it. <laughs> Most versions of the tale tend to include a warning that knocking three times on the tresses of the bridge runs the risk of bringing out the goat men. 
Over decades, there have been numerous alleged sightings of the goat lice. lice. <laughs> goat, goat lice. <laughs> Heard it here, folks. <laughs> ah, goat-like apparition with a goat head haunting the area. Some locals have claimed to have seen glowing eyes staring at them on the bridge, while others have claimed to hear splashing in the creek below. Ooh. I don't know which one's more unsettling. <laughs> Probably the eyeballs. I don't yes. Know. I don't like uh, weird red eyeballs floating in the dark. Nope, thanks. Nope. In 2017, BuzzFeed Unsolved, Supernatural Investigated, some of these claims. I do, too. I want to be them. Yes. (laughs) I want us to take up the helm. Yes. (laughs) That would be great. TM. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally, none of the ghost stories surrounding the bridge are based on any specific historical facts. Womp womp. Mm. Today, the bridge is only used for foot traffic since a replacement bridge was constructed nearby. Fun fact, the bridge is on Old Alton Road, not to be confused with the neighborhood road less than a mile away called Old Alton Drive. Anywho, I've been a few times since I live close by, but sadly, I cannot report any goat sightings. But there's always next time. Love the pod. Love you guys. Cheers, Samantha. Man, I love the Goat Man Bridge. I want I want to go there so bad. Like I had even so my uh, library masters I got from Texas Women's Women's in Denton, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go there for graduation just so I could go to the Goatman Bridge and take pictures in my cap and gown. <laughs> yes, next time I go visit Brian and Luciano, I'm thinking we need to do a detour. <laughs> yes, yes, please do. We could all go party in Fort Worth and. Heck yeah. Side. It's part of that map going around Facebook of uh, haunted Texas. It goes to Shreveport. Yes. So that's definitely not Texas, but I get where <laughs> we're going. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people who live in Louisiana call Shreveport North Texas. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I see that. And then I think all, I think the donkey lady is the only thing in San Antonio it has. I'm like, there's a lot of haunted stuff here. I'm wondering why that one's always the one that comes up, but. You can tell I'm not from here because I'm sure anybody from San Antonio right now is cursing me. How <laughs> dare you belittle the donkey lady? <laughs> donkey. All right. <laughs> All right. So for my last one, I decided to read Meg's. So this is from Meg's. Meg. Thank you, Meg. Hi, Meg. <laughs> I forgot how to words. All right. Let me go ahead and blow this up before I even try. <laughs> Reading is hard. I Reading heard- is real hard. Weak ass bitches. <laughs> I forgot my glasses. <laughs> I don't even have that excuse. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. So, hello, my fave pod host people. Hello. Hi. While listening to your mini with Otter Limits pod, where y'all went ham on town names, I realized I knew the answer to why possum grape is called, you know, possum grape. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm so happy I'm reading this one because <laughs> possum grape is my favorite Arkansas town. Possum Grape is an unincorporated community in Glaze Township located in the western panhandle of Jackson County near Highway 367, closest to Newport, the county seat. Ooh, I used to, this, I think I've mentioned it before. So Katrina and Brianne, Patreon members, they used to go to Lyon College, Batesville, and I did not. I went to UCA in Central Arkansas. I used to drive what, what? to Batesville to party with them at their private college. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a dry county, so we had to drive to Newport to get all the booze. So I spent a lot of time in Newport. Love it. Drunk. You could have gone to Possum Grape and you didn't even know it. 
I know, right? Missed opportunities. <laughs> For real. It is just west of the White River, Hey Whitey the Sea Monster, by Aww. the Ozark Mountains. Uh, Possum Grape is near the historic riverboat town of Grand Glaze in Jackson County. The community most likely received its unusual name from the wild grape called the Possum Grape, popular in the area for making jam and wine. I wondered about that. Is that, I wonder if the Possum Grape is similar to like a Mayha grape. I didn't even know that was a grape, so I, I don't know. <laughs> God, I'll have to look that- into that. Um, speaking of Otter Limits, I was just on their podcast doing, they're doing little minis, but states and just like fun yeah. facts and shit. Oh, cool. And like everything I kept saying about Arkansas was just ridiculous. They're like, do you even know your own state? And I'm like, apparently not. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> My bad. It's like, I'm a hillbilly. I didn't spend a lot of time in the South. Okay. <laughs> For real. <laughs> So a few locals say possum grape was named in 1954 following a disagreement on whether to call it possum or grape. (laughs) A compromise was supposedly worked out and the two names were combined. I think that's only fair, honestly. It's true, but I feel like that's the most Arkansas story ever. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) We had two names. Couldn't figure it out. So it's both. Before the Civil War, the county was super rich from the riverboat biz, and it played an active role in the war because of of its strategic location on the river. But after the war, riverboat trade decreased and the area became less important. Womp womp. (laughs) The most severe blow was the construction of the Cairo and Fulton Railroad in the early 1870s, bypassing Grand Glaze for higher ground. They also made a living in the pearling industry by diving for mussels in the White River and selling them to the button factory in Newport. But this was also a flop because of the rise of those damned plastic buttons. No! No! You know, that is something I never realized was such a huge thing on the White River until we did our first mini extra, Mm -hmm. first extra when I did Norfolk. But yeah, I didn't realize that that river was ever warm enough to have mussels. Yeah, goddamn life, and I didn't know. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) Probably the only fun fact: the Arkansas General Assembly designated Highway 67 as the Rock and Roll Highway to honor the rockabilly music that blossomed in the clubs of Newport and Tuckerman in Jackson County during the 1950s and 1960s. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. So Possum Grape had its own club during the time, first called GBs after its owner Gene Brian Kennedy. There you have it. More info than you ever wanted to know. Love your fellow Arky Meg. Keep on making us look cool, ladies. Aww, I well, love that's that. Cool. I didn't know about a rockabilly highway. I didn't either. Huh. Respect Arkansas. One of the. Billy Bob Thornton movies, I can't remember which one, was shot on 67 in Gum Springs, which was uh, – Gum Springs was right next to Curtis where I grew up. Oh, I saw him at Home Depot once. Nice. He he lives in Calico Rock. Mm-hmm. And we have to go to Mountain Home to do stuff. And then it was right after Sling Blade and everybody was like, is that him? It can't be him. Is that him? <laughs> My uh, high school English teacher went to school with him in Malvern, and she told us all these crazy stories. Like, they used to go to his house to look in the windows because his mom was the local fortune teller. Whoa. Yeah. So, like, stuff like that. And, like, he got bullied because his mom was the fortune teller. Aw. Well, who's laughing now, though? Exactly, right? That's why he turned out so odd. Yeah. Well, he's probably... Swimming around McDucking it, you know, Scrooge McDuck. Oh, real. Money. Hell yeah. In his Ozark mansion. 
random vials of blood. It's fine. <laughs> so weird. But who am I to judge, you know? Right. <laughs> okay. Can I go ahead and just make it big before I start? Yep. Trust me. <laughs> it's the way to go. Yeah. I just need to start like putting these in the folders here. Just so that I'm <laughs> this is from Kristen Marie. Oh, thank you. Hello, Kristen. Hello, Kristen. Says, I grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia, and this place had so many legends built around it. In high school, we would drive up there and see who could spend the most time inside the building at night. The buildings sit way back off the main road, and as you are driving, it honestly feels like someone is standing behind the trees watching you go up. They had a station, a police officer up there because so many people were vandalizing. But the accounts of the kids that lived up there are freaky. It was all in caps. <laughs> Rumor has it that these buildings were an insane asylum that turned into a tuberculosis hospital and that they tortured poor souls that now haunt the place. That'd do it. Yeah. Yep. That's a that's pretty much the recipe for <laughs> a tortured haunting. Yeah. Says lights come on within the building, even though the electricity hasn't been on for years. People hear sounds like doors slamming. Some people see a man who bends down to pet a dog and then disappears. Well, that's sweet. That's me as a ghost. Pet all the dogs. Same. Same. <laughs> it says, my own personal ghost story revolves around this place. We went here at night ready to ghost hunt. A car was backed up into the cemetery so that the taillights were facing it. We were sitting there and out of the side mirror, we saw a white figure in colonial period clothes. The car was still on. So if it had been a person, the red lights would have reflected off of them. Oh. Hmm. The person in the driver's seat saw the exact same thing. We freaked out and quickly drove away. <laughs> and I was literally paralyzed with fear. But I can't be the only one that was freaked out seeing this because they literally wrote a news article about it. Here it is. Okay. Let me open it up. Uh, uh, uh. This is from the Observer Reporter. Oh. Stonewall is said to keep spirit stories in Bethany Graveyard. Hey, that's a thing that's in Seguin. There's a stone wall, and they say that because it's a walled by the original Lime Crete or whatever here, that it's holding in all the spirits and shit. That's a cool theory. Yeah. So hmm. this is Bethany, West Virginia. When it comes to tales of ghosts, they're hardly a more storied setting than a hallowed grounds of God's Acre Cemetery. God's sake. That sounds haunted. That, that yes. <laughs> the graveyard, nearly two centuries old, holy shit, sits on a hill and back into the woods just across the road from Alexander Campbell's historic mansion in this college town of West Virginia's northern panhandle. This is like all the recipe for. For real. God's Acre, also known as Campbell Cemetery. That's less climatic. Stick with God's Acre. <laughs> <laughs> it serves as the final resting place for Bethany College founder Alexander Campbell, both of his wives, ooh, 13 of his 14 children, ugh, kids, and many of their descendants, as well as many former Bethany presidents and professors. That's so many kids. I can't. That's the scariest part of this. <laughs> Real talk. <laughs> Have 14 kids. Jesus. Yes. Some believe that the reason for all the stories lies within the structure of the graveyard itself. While God's Acre was established in 1820 after the death of Alexander and Margaret Campbell's infant daughter, Amanda, a four foot high stone wall that now completely encloses the cemetery was not constructed until 1866 after the death of Campbell himself. It is said that because there is no break in the wall, which stands four feet above the ground, but also extends three feet below. Oh, 
Just in case they try to crawl out. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I just had like (laughs) corpse visions trying to pull them out. (laughs) (laughs) Hit their head. Oh, foiled again. Okay. Um, The spirits of those in turn in God's acre have no way of leaving the cemetery, thus trapping them in their graves and within the walls forever. Called it. (laughs) Campbell is the leading influence in America's largest indigenous religious movement known variously as the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, Churches of Christ, and the Christian Church. An innovator educator who founded Bethany College in 1840. He was a leader in childhood and adolescent education and champion universal female education. Okay. All right. Put some respect on his name. I guess. God's Acre is home to more than 250 graves and some say almost that many spirits. Well, yeah, you just said they're all trapped. Yeah. Gotta stay consistent here. Do you want ghosts? That's how you get ghosts. (laughs) You can feel a sort of presence you hear about in ghost stories when you go, says Tess Perry, the college student who visited the cemetery many times. It's a nice place, but it's scary. (laughs) (laughs) Very simple quote. I like it. Succinct. Bethany being an old and historic town has plenty of ghost stories associated with it. Perhaps no other part of this area is said to be more haunted than God's Acre. Well, yeah, you just said they're all trapped. When a new school year begins at Bethany College, one of the first activities offered to students, new and old, is the annual telling of ghost stories by Dr. Larry Grimes in the cemetery. Well, that's a college class I want to sign up for. For real. (laughs) That's amazing. He's been telling stories for 40 years. That's awesome. That's really cool. Two of the most popular stories about the Argyle Campbell tomb have to do with groups of boys from the college spending the night in the cemetery, only to wind up being plagued by strange dreams of the tomb they slept beside. One details a boy dreaming about being trapped in the tomb and attempting to claw his way out. And then when he wakes up, his fingers are bloodied. Oh, don't like that. I do not like that. Another, the story of a bullet hole claims that a boy who stayed in the cemetery overnight dreamed he was in the tomb being shot at by Campbell's ghost. And when he and his friends returned to the cemetery, they saw bullet holes right where they would have pierced the boy's heart. Big yikes. Well, that escalated quickly. For real. An initial look around leaves one feeling both humbled and intrigued, wanting to read each and every gravestone and absorb every piece of history while battling the feeling that the entire place is something private that a visitor perhaps should not be intruding upon. Even when the rest of Bethany is perfectly warm, God's Acre Cemetery feels perpetually as if it has been touched by an autumn chill. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, everybody, for sending in your stories. Yes. Wild and great spooky i love them historical as fuck yes (laughs) everything (laughs) we definitely need way more stories for september and it's officially spooky season in september so oh yeah scare me it's not hard honestly but send us your scariest stories i'm gonna send in stories I'll read them. <laughs> Good. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. So send them. Please, 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 please. So it's like about to say, don't make me beg, but I already begged. Don't make her beg again. <laughs> 
Uh, and you want to join Patreon and watch these live and chat with us while we record and then also get extra episodes and get all this other really cool shit and be entered into contests to win uh, some spooky shit. That's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And what else? Oh, and the website's just now historical AF podcast.com. Oh, yeah. There's a domain now. I feel so official. You are official. I'm proud of you. <gasps> Thanks. What else? Oh, and follow us on social media. Historical AF Pod. <laughs> it's, it's very easy. Just Have you caught on to the trend yet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thanks, everybody. I hope you had a good August. And uh, hopefully, let's kick September's ass. And uh, don't let 2020 get you down. <laughs> yes. Love you. Love you so much. <laughs> mwah, 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 mwah. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>